<laughs> Mate. Nice. Nice. Um, all right. Well, welcome to Harco Meets Humans. I'm here with Roundhead Engineer, Producer, Tamaruvian of, of note. Studio manager. Studio manager. Yeah. Well, you're all those things, right? Yeah. Minor accountant. Uh, <laughs> Patty Hill, everybody. Hey, how are you? Thank, um, thank you for having me. Yeah, how many jobs do you have around here, really? There's like, I would probably break it into just two major sections of uh, studio manager, which is just looking after the building, the studios, the people in it and everything that's going on there and then engineer producer. Mm. And I feel like they're both 100% energy kind of jobs which yeah. doesn't make sense but they're also of, kind of different sides of the brain mm, sometimes mm, as well like yeah did you ever think of yourself as like a, a business person i'm doing bunny quotes no nah. you know yeah no not really and it was it took it was a lot of it was a really like it's almost the same as when you're learning to engineer and produce there's this really steep learning curve of like mm. oh my gosh this is how it all works and, all that. and then it was the same with the managing and and the business side of things it was like Whoa, this is how this thing works. Like how you like, you know, make money, don't lose money, how you spend money, how you people I think is the, the biggest thing of that role is and, and I feel like that's almost ties into the producer side of things as well. But I feel like the managing thing is just it's like putting out fires and keeping people happy. Yeah. A lot of the time. Are you said before managing expectations? Yeah. Yeah, totally. That's a huge one. Yeah, I think so. Especially a place like Roundhead, because um for those who are listening who don't know, it's a, a big recording studio at the top of uh, Auckland City and um, very, very beautiful spaces. But a lot of people will see it as a one-stop shop. They'll come in with, you know, a USB drive and expect to walk out with a double gatefold LP, you know, kind of. <laughs> so uh, we have to, you know, make sure that everyone's on the same page when we're, you know, working out what, what, we, what we can do for people. Because, I mean, we're, we're all just humans that enjoy making music as well. Um, what's the thing for you that you were like, I, you thought studios were like this and now that you work in a studio, it, they're actually like, there's, it's actually this. Like, what's that for you? Like, what was the mis misconception you had going into studios <laughs> before you started working? The, the commitment, I think. I think it's like you're almost, it's like people are like married to their job kind of thing. I just, mm. you know, you, everyone's like, well, it's a, you know, it's a lot of work. And it's like that with most industries. You want to be a lawyer, an accountant, or whatever. It's like you're going to do like 14 hour days and you'll be here from 8 a.m. till blah, 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 and all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, you can do that. And then once you've been doing it for four or five months and you've, you know, you've been there till 10 p.m. every day for like six, seven days a week, you're like, Oh, I get this now. I get this. This is what it's all about. But it, yeah, but the 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 payoff is equally the same because your your rate of learning is just. It was funny when I was studying because I got the internship while I was studying. It was when I started around here, and I was taking a paper while I was studying that said you had to do work experience of like fifty hours or something across the year, and I didn't start doing it till I started interning. But I think. I did over a thousand hours in that paper. <laughs> and they were just like, are you serious? I was like, yeah. <laughs> yep. That was like four months worth of work. It was ridiculous. Maybe not more four months, but you know. But yeah, I think that was that was it. It was just like, oh, this is going to be great. And then to realize, I think especially to become a really tuned in to what you're working on and things, it's, it's almost like you have to hear every possible sound out of that set of speakers to be able to 
do what you're trying to do. It was almost what it seemed like. It was like I'd feel like I'd have a hold on things and you'd hear something new come out the speakers and be like, what's that? Right. I have no idea how to do that. It would be, And so I think, you know, once you've been exposed to it, it feels like almost everything under the sun, then you're like, I can do this now. And how long was it from that internship till that steep learning curve you felt like it was starting to kind of slope off and, and plateau a little bit like you felt a little bit more comfortable like how long was that steep learning curve for is it still now or yeah like lunchtime today <laughs> <laughs> the, like it goes in like chunks it's there's someone explained it to me and it was a really cool it was a really good thing and i'm gonna absolutely butcher the the way you you do it but it's kind of like you you learn a bunch of stuff and then you put it into practice but then you do that thing that you learnt badly and then you go backwards and then I don't know, it's like a it's like a it's a learn, unlearn, learn, unlearn. It's like you're like, oh, I learned what this how to work an EQ, but then you overuse the shit out of it on yeah. like everything you do for the next six months and then then you go and you use it for its most basic function and you're like, oh, that sounds way better than how I've been using it for ages. And then six months later you realize that you can use it in a more complicated way, but you were just using it the wrong way the first start. So but I feel like it goes in like always like three month cycles like roundhead in, in in my instance was it took about three months just to learn everything in the studio like the where things went where, what things plugged into where you know how to get sound from a to b and mm. all these different things what you know the kind of scenarios that were going to be there it took about three months of kind of five six days a week 10 hours 12 hours a day kind of just just to get my head around that and then probably another six to nine months maybe to really grasp like I'd, I'd done a degree in audio engineering so I knew like a recording console and signal flow and things like that but to, to work on a 80 channel Neve is a whole nother world and you know all the different ins and outs of that and how they integrated with each other yeah that was another six to nine months and then it was like cool I can kind of like record a four piece band very marginally does that experience make like do you think musicians have a, a misunderstanding of the difference between being in a band and playing live and being in a studio mm. like that that took you that much to like wrap your head around it mm. and you'd done a course in it mm. like does as an experience you get sometimes where bands don't have don't have that kind of time in the studio most of the time yeah totally totally and i think the 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 misconception that uh, like obviously playing live, playing on stage or in a rehearsal room or something like that, your ears are getting belted with everything and it sounds good and that's really great and you're in the moment of things but the moment is forever in place in the studio, you know. So mm. you go back and when you review things, you're just like, wow, <laughs> whoa. Like, you know, people, Eva did a drum session last night and the drummer's just like, I'm just going to go and do one more. I'm just going to do, you know, it was like sounded great. And then you listen back the second time and it's like, it's even when I'm producing or recording things, you like hear something in the moment and you're like, this is, this is amazing. And then the playback happens and you're like, huh, that's weird. Yeah. So I don't know. It's like a, it's a weird thing to, to, to learn and get used to, but you still get the people who are like, oh, I've got an album's worth of material. So I think like if I book like an hour's studio time, 15 minutes either side, pack up, pack down and, <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. That's this, crazy. Yeah, this is, <laughs> here's what I'm going to tell you and you're not going to like it. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> managing expectations. Back to managing the expectations always. Um, we should wind back because you and I went to same high school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing you smoke through Rock Quest. I remember you being in bands and music thing. Um, the, the thing that I'm curious about is like when was it that you – got interested in the actual like re- like in not just playing but recording mm. music or doing that stuff did that happen in high school or was this or was this an after high school thing yeah i had so many instances where it's really easy to look back on things as a as older self and look at younger self and go oh that all makes sense now it all makes sense like it's almost it almost stems right back to both my parents work in the the food industry but their Essentially, their jobs are quality control. So they work at these places where they are, you know, making sure the quality is really high. And I feel like almost in a sense, that's what a producer engineer does. Yeah. But um, in high school, I was making making music as a band. Um, and Henry, who's my oldest and dearest friend, guitarist of Soaked Oats, um, was, we had a, a band together. And really early on, I went to his house and his older brother, Theo Francis, who's Hardy Unclear guitarist and also a lovely friend of, of ours, um, had gone away to London or something and left a little interface and two 57 microphones. And Henry was like, oh, you should come over. We can we can record the song, you know, that we've been like making in this rehearsal room. And I'd only been learning an instrument for about six months by that point. And I was kind of like, okay, like that makes like kind of sense to me. I don't really know. And so he was kind of leading leading this kind of journey, and we put you know fifty seven. I think I think we recorded. He had a loop pedal. I think we recorded guitar first, and then we did some really terrible drums over top of the loop. We had one fifty seven in front of the kit, and then we thought it'd be a cool idea if we opened the window and put a mic in the garden, pointing through the window, just straight avant garde. Yeah, like, yes, yeah, we're yes, just going so for it. Full like the breeze, <laughs> and then we put we just we just put one on the hammers inside the piano or something and then sung into one through GarageBand and it was kind of, it, it was like came out and burned a CD each and we're like, wow, this is amazing. It's, it's crazy. And didn't really think much of it. It was just like, that was something I did. Cool. That was fun. And didn't really push it that much. Henry was really good at the time. Actually used to have a little brick cell phone, but he'd have it full of voice memos and kind of the equivalent of what everyone has iPhones now, but he'd always just have heaps of little, voice memos because you'd only store eight loops in the, the boss loop station. Yeah. So, you'd, you know, save the eight best loops at all times, but then like would have these other little ones saved into the phone. And then, and that was how we kind of demoed things. And then after one rock quest, maybe the first one we won the regionals of, I don't think we, we never placed, I think we might've placed in like the top 10 or the top 20 nationally, but never like never went to the finals or anything. My mum helped us get a Creative New Zealand grant for like two and a half or three grand, and we approached the guy in Timaru Sticks, who was he oh, had he did the live sticks, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, shout out Sticks. <laughs> he did the he did the live sound and the PA for pretty much everything, like the theatre companies and dance shows and stuff. We had a little studio in his basement, and so we were like, all right, we did this deal. It was like two or three grand for a four track EP um, with our band, and so we went. And did that, and I was 
I remember being quite interested in the things and so the band left and I'd just sit with him while he was going showing me things. It was actually the first instance of like replacing a musician. I saw that, but I didn't really know what was going on. But someone played the congas and he was like, the conga, the guy who played the congas left and he was like, oh, I'm just going to MIDI this. And I was like, I was like, I had no idea what like MIDI it and meant. But then he started playing this keyboard and it was playing conga sounds. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy. You know, this is like Logic Pro 4 or something like that. Yeah, right. And we made this record and well you know an ep and i remember i mean listening to it now it's awful but i remember at the time being like well that's pretty cool but then didn't really think much of it because i guess and you're probably the same there i i well, at high school i had no idea that there was a producer or an engineer and i didn't know there was never really a a clear path that's said you know you could do this in music it was like you're a band and somehow you strike gold and become famous. Like that was, that was the only trajectory I knew of and it yeah. wasn't. And, uh, and you know, there was, I'd kind of vaguely heard about these places like Mainz and I think there was like a performance school in Christchurch or something. And so I was like, yeah, but didn't really, there was no clear way for me to do those things. So it didn't really ever go in my mind. And around the same time, my brother and I had got like a cereal packet kind of, music production program and and had made a couple of like weird like loopy things on that and then somehow come by fruity loops and had made a couple of remixes for our own sake of just like weird things and it was actually it's interesting there's this video going around on instagram that shows daft punks one more time and how to how to how they made that sample but we had done that 10 years ago when we'd heard this song on the radio and i was like that's that Daft Punk song. So we like got an MP3 of it and put it into Fruity Loops and tried to chop it up and make it. And we just made it and we just sit all day like just <laughs> chopping this thing. Didn't know how to like sequence it or anything properly, but we just like for like half an hour, we'd just be playing this like thing where you're triggering the different cue points of the of the, of the the sample. So that was, that was another point where I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. But still at the same time, still just like studying, you know, biology and all the dumb stuff, English. <laughs> and then I uh, got a little bit, little bit older and uh this was kind of this must be my last year of high school but there was a few friends in my group who were who fancied themselves like rappers and it was like a fun little thing that happened just like friday saturday nights and we'd go to someone's house and have beers and sit outside and have have a few darts and someone would you know start busting a freestyle over top of whatever music was playing and it was like oh that's quite cool like i've got these sing star mics at home i wonder if i could work out a way to like record these because it's like a cool thing to you know memory mm. and time so worked out how to reverse engineer sing star mics into garage band wow and would take my mom had a laptop by this point so i was like take this laptop to these friday night things download a bunch of instrumentals off youtube and record these people just handing around the mic for like two hours of of these freestyles and there was a point where I was like, oh, these like MP3s are such crap quality. I wonder if I could, I wonder if I could try, you know, make something myself that someone could rap over. That would be interesting. And so I was like, oh, and I didn't really know how to use the programs or anything. And I kind of like, I knew about like timing and keys and all that kind of stuff through like playing in a band. But it, for some reason there was no, nothing translated to the, to that digital thing for me. So what I would do is I'd get these instrumental, like Just Blaze instrumental, and I'd listen to the sample, go on the internet, research what he used, find the MP3 of that, pull it in, chop it up the way he did, find a bunch of like kick drum 
samples in GarageBand or whatever and place them in the same way and then mute the instrumental and I'd have like my own version of Just Blaze's instrumental and then uh, doing that affair but I was like okay I kind of get how they do this like there's little sections and chunks and like bits and you make this like that and I was like okay cool started making my own ones that were like terrible and I was like oh yeah well yeah this is this is a fun little hobby but still didn't you know really think anything serious of, of it and then Went away for a gap year after I left high school. Worked in a pub in London and the UK and around there. And then came back and tried to study politics, philosophy and economics at Otago <laughs> University with a music production minor. Right. And the music paper was like the first the first day I'd, of the course I did and it was like a, uh, it was like sitting in the classroom and it was like, oh, it's a glossary thing. So it was like, the words and their definitions and you're linking them up and I was kind of like, oh, this is a bit shit. I thought I was going to like get to record something. So I was like, well, when do we get to, um, when do we get to use the studios and stuff? And the guy was like, oh, that's not, it's like fourth, fifth year kind of stuff if you make it that far. And I was like, I'm not doing this. Yeah. I'm not doing this. And so I pulled out of that and I pulled out of doing the other courses because I was like, I don't know what I want to do. And then my younger brother had done a course at Mainz, meanwhile, um, like a holiday program and had gone up and was like, what was the second? He was like, oh, they have one of these up in Auckland. By this point, I was living with my now wife in Whangarei, where she's from, over the summer. He was like, oh, you should sign up for this Mainz thing. It's like this studios and they teach like production and I think you really enjoy it. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I just kind of looked up and I was like, well, I got nothing else. I'm not doing anything else. So I just signed up for it, moved down to Auckland and then day one they we're like, here's the studio. We're going to leave you in here for like half an hour, fart around, and then we'll come back and see if you've got any questions. And I was like, this is amazing. This is great. This is what I'll do. And so I was like instantly in love with doing that. Learned the the technicalities of it um, to a point and was like, wow, this is really cool. And then, but I was, you know, making these these recordings and things with people who are also just maybe starting out their musical journey. So it was really hard. It was like, man, everything sounds really bad. Like, mm. Nothing's nothing's sounding like these people that I'm listening to on the internet or whatever, these producers that I'm loving or finding out about and going like, man, nothing sound like Dr. Dre or Brian Eno, this sucks. And then we did a field trip up to Roundhead and we went up one morning and they were like, okay, we're this Roundhead. And I was walking and I was like, whoa, this is cool. This is a cool studio. And the engineer at the time was like, here's how we set up drums, showed us how we set up drums. They had a drummer in there. And then the guy started drumming and it just like came through the speakers like, this is where I want to work. This is, mm. this is what everything should sound like. This is what I'm missing. Like, I don't know what is happening in here, but like <laughs> the combination of everything that's going on is what I need. And, you know, maybe it was the, you know, an amazing drummer, amazing mics, great kit, amazing room, desk, speakers, all that thing. But I was like, this is what I've got to do this. Like if I'm going to do, if I'm going to get anywhere with this, this is how, this is the only way I'm going to be able to do it is, you know. And so that kind of laid lie for a little while, kept doing the thing and was, you know, kept roundhead in the back of my mind and was like, oh, you know, it's like a bit of a fantasy being like, well, yeah. I think I actually, I found an email a while ago, which was like my first ever thing of just like cold calling someone. It was just like, hey, I really loved your studio. I was visiting the other day. Here's some beats I've been making on SoundCloud. <laughs> Let me sick. know if you're interested in working together. <laughs> and like a very polite email from the studio manager at the time being like, thanks for your interest. You know, we take influence from time to time. Just keep your eye on the social media. And I was like, oh, okay, sweet. And then, uh, yeah, fast forward maybe another year and I was in my third year 
I was really sick in bed one morning and I just woke up about 10, 10.30 and pulled open my laptop and, you know, it was the first, the old habit of just like first thing you do is pop up Facebook and see what's going on. And the first thing that was there, like right below, right below the homepage was Roundhead Studios being like, hey, we really need a new intern. Please send any interest to this email address. And, I was, and it was like updated two minutes ago. And I was like, I'm probably the first person who's seen this. So I sent an email, sent it to Jeremy McPike, who's the manager at the time. And I was like, hey, really keen. This is my scenario. This is what I'm doing. I would, you know, give up everything to do this kind of thing. Wow. And he pinged an email back like five minutes later being like, that's great. Do you want to come up here in like 45 minutes an hour and we'll have a chat? And I was like clogged up. So I was like pack a Panadol, jug of coffee, like scoff that down, walked. It was about, I think it was like a 45 minute walk from my house to the studio and um, walked up there and had this interview with him and and he was like oh it's great we got like you know a couple of people to interview maybe tomorrow and things but we'll let you know like when when could you start and I was like oh, I'm going away to Dunedin um I booked this trip away which was coincidentally to record the Shambles first ever concert um which was Henry Max Gunn and Connor Feely who had now kind of oats and various other things. But um, that was, yeah, the start of those little Dunedin bands, first ever gig. And um, so I got a call while I was down there and he was like, oh, we want to give you the the gig. Do you work, when can you start? And I was like, oh, I get back Friday around lunchtime. He's like, cool, we'll see you then. And so I get off the phone and I was like, I've, I've got a job at Roundhead. And everyone's like, what? It's like, what? <laughs> Just like losing my mind. And then so came back, flew back straight from the airport, took a taxi straight to Roundhead and started that afternoon. Wow. And then... Yeah. That's a real like fairy tale journey in a sense. Well, yeah, and then the next the next period of it's even more messed up is because like I've been there for five years and now I run the place. It's just like <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's the that's the crazy bit. Like But I, you must feel like a real genuine like still have that genuine love and that genuine like you know, it came true for you and you got to be you you are still there. You get to yeah. be the guy, you know? Yeah. And I think it's really it's really wonderful how those two parts of my job interact because um, I had a couple of managers before me while I was engineering and producing there, but they understood what happens in a studio and how, how it kind of works and maybe understood some technical aspects of it, but never really understood what it's like sitting in the chair for that amount of time, you know, 70, 80 hours a week. Diff, could be like five different artists in a week, five different sessions, could be anything from death metal to orchestra and everything in between in one week. And so it's really cool to be able to manage the studios now and for engineers at various stages in their careers and be able to understand where they're coming from and they're kind of like, you know, how how they're finding it and know that it's like if someone's like, oh, I'm feeling quite tired. It's like, I know that tired. You know, mm. I know how that feels. Or like, you know, being like this bit of gear needs fixed and stuff and knowing the importance of like what that is and how it contributes to what we're trying to do rather than it just being like, can't spend any money because, you know, we can't. And, you know, and then being like suffering because it's like, oh, well, this person's pissed off because this thing's not working and it's, you know. So it's really cool being able to go look at, look at, that part of the job and and be like I know what that's like being in there as well and I'm also still doing it which is a you know the other great aspect of it I've always viewed you as a kind of fifth beetle of the soaked oats kind of crew mm, mm. and kind of 
imagine you there on the ground floor of whatever that whole scene or group of bands and group of musicians was. As someone who was there but wasn't necessarily in like, you know, on the stage having to think about that all the mm, time. Mm. What's your like takeaway? What was your experience of that that moment in Dunedin music and those people and where they've gone? I think it my first the first ever experience I had was going and flying down and having doing that recording that gig for them. And at that point like Henry and I just, you know, were just like chatting over Messenger and over the phone and things and he was like, Oh, I'm in these bands, we're doing these things and Hen had done a couple of like bits playing for a few projects with Theo and Paul Cathro and things like that. And then this was kind of the first band that was, you know, starting to actually be like, this is a new band and this is going to do something. And going there and being like, oh, this is really interesting. This is really cool. And there was a real, I think as as, as much, and you can see it with the things that have come out of it, like Nest Fest and, and all the bands around it, was that there was a whole community surrounding that of like, like everyone's friends were going to these gigs and like the, the gigs were at houses or at flats and everyone was there. And it was it was like the the bands were really important, but it was it was really supported by the community of students. And it was it, and because I was living in Auckland at the time and I, I came down and I see these things, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is insane. Like this is that's it's so it's such a dif- different atmosphere. And I guess that the love that all those people put into it and supported them really lifted that up and yeah it was it was kind of like it was one of those things where it was like oh this is really cool this this would be great if it kept going but not really knowing what what would happen these bands going up and moving and I'm making heaps of weird like hand gestures (laughs) here that that no one can see but you know like morphing and changing and people going into other bands and things like that and it's quite it was quite yeah we should say what, but like we're talking about like soaked oats. We're talking about well, mild orange at that yeah, time. Yeah, mild well. orange, Mounds dreaming. Um, who else is in and around those guys? Um, the shambles, which are non-exist anymore. Well, kind of exist, but yeah, those kind of guys. Um, I'm sorry, there's probably a few other years out there. That well, I've they all combined about. into mini bands, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but I think it was really, it was really cool to. Yeah, because I'd I'd been there at the kind of start, and I've, and just with Henry as well, it's like we've always been a, a a really good like kind of voice to each other's ideas and thoughts, and like you know, and also just life stuff as well of just like what we're doing and how we're going and all that kind of things. Um, has also led me to meet all these other people, and and because it was like, oh, you helped out do these kind of things here, it was like a got in touch like Marlon Streaming had come up one time and I'd been to their gig and they're like oh you're Patty blah 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 we want to, we're making this record on your help and then more recently like Mild Orange as well they're like oh yeah we heard about these things you've done Barbara do you want to help us do this thing and it was and yeah I don't know it's a it's a it's a really cool beautiful thing to see all those bands all of them seem to have done you know really in my eyes really well I think so and it if, for me especially because I'm I've only just gotten to know and the Marlin Streaming guys mm. through just recently. Mm-hmm. So I don't have as much of a um, history with them, but mm. with the Soaked Oats boys, really seeing them change and grow from, you know, the first couple of EPs and they'd be playing in Auckland and the, the crowd was still mainly like musician-y, not musician-y, sorry, like student-y, party, mm. uh, very like Dunedin 
mm. vibes wherever they went to yep. where like now I think they are finally in the spot that I always kind of viewed them and maybe thought they might want to be as well, which yep. is a bit more musician-y. Mm. We, we make like good serious music as well that yep. you can come and watch us play and like, you know. And yeah, it's considered. Yep. Considered and it's yep. been really, which is not an easy thing to do mm. because, you know, I think in every scene that comes out of Dunedin rides that wave of student party. Yeah. Yep. And like that's a really tried and trusted successful way to do it that I think not many people have clued on, mm. still have included clued on to how yep. accessible that is. Mm. But the transitioning from that yeah. into your next thing is something that I think lots of bands find really hard. Mm. Like we two cartoons found that really hard. You can you kind of either get stuck in that thing and chase that. Mm. It, it just affects your decision making. Yeah. So it was great. Like I'm have so much respect for Soaked Oats and the music. Like they didn't just keep they their music has changed. Their mm. They work on their stage and show it. I'm such a big fan. <laughs> and it's 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 true to all those guys because I've I've worked on various points of, you know, like the Marlin stuff, like how their records have changed and the music has changed, and they've all gone. They all they all did kind of start, I guess, in that that kind of party surfy kind of thing. But even though I still know a lot of people refer to it as a kind of that surf rocky kind of um, whatever Dunedin sound stuff, but the music has become so much more than that and the the content of songwriting and things as well has moved away from just that kind of that very i don't know tried and true kind of issues that are around kind of flatting or you know love or whatever and, and become especially with the yeah these these newer records that they're coming out with um which I'm very excited for everyone to hear yeah i um, can't wait for it to be finished boys yeah well <laughs> I think it's done. Oh my honest. god! I think it's I think it's done. It needs to be mixed, but yeah, yeah, it's 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 almost there. But yeah, it's a it's been really cool, and I think it's it's going to be exciting to see where it goes. It is a it is a funny plane, yeah, where those bands come up and get to that point. Because then when I because then when I was saying considered, it's almost like the the bands that I think people take seriously or artists who think take seriously are almost another twenty years older than us. And that, again, you know, and there's that weird gap in the middle where what happens between, you know, this age of kind of late 20s, early 30s to, to, you know, 40s or whatever. It's like there's a weird kind of space where you're not appealing to these young partiers, but, you know, maybe you're not for the oldies either. No offense to anyone who's, <laughs> you're not, 40s not old, but you know what I'm saying. You haven't become like this established mm. It's just a, yeah, it's just a literally a time thing. Mm. It's like, oh, yeah, everyone knows this person. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. they're not doing anything different than you know what I mean. They've been there the whole time. <laughs> yeah, and I think it maybe maybe it's a fear thing as well. It's like you can't just keep doing the same thing. And and the you look at the greatest artists of 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 our time, David Bowie, Grace Jones, all those kind of people, just like forever moving. Even people like Taylor Swift, Katy Perry, like they're all even Lord at the moment. You know, like that new stuff she's putting out. It's like changing you're not trying to just do the same thing over and over billy eilish you know they're moving in in new ways and directions and that's the exciting thing with artists it's like you can love them for the surf rock music that they made five years ago but you know it's really interesting and exciting to see them take on a new direction or a new kind of yeah. a new course which is cool i remember josh homie saying something like 
he aims to lose 20% of his fans with every album he puts out mm, or something, mm. like just to keep his audience fresh. Yeah. And like that's such a great idea because it's kind of poison, I think, the idea that like I've just got to try and make everyone happy. Mm. I've got to try and make everyone like this. Like you've got to, 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 to make a certain segment, uh, to appeal to a certain segment, you have to have, you have to know intentionally what segment you want to piss off essentially yep. what yep. segment you don't mm. the people you don't want to have at your gigs mm. you uh, you have to know that just to know who the people you do want to have at your gigs as well yeah and that's real tough man like especially mm. when you're that's the other thing that's the great thing about young bands and being just being young you just you don't think about that shit you're yeah. like right i'm gonna fucking play some guys yeah. some fucking songs yeah just get out there and do yeah, it like, exactly. who gives a crap yeah. man yeah and that's the thing as well it's like i noticed with i noticed that because i work with a lot of bands and that was one thing that I thought was quite unique. Maybe just like with the Oats when I was starting out and, and, and the Marlins guys as well, just they weren't really bothered about things like, like they would have been, but like promo and social media and mm. things like that. Like they were just so in love with the music they're making and focused on that. Whereas I would have, a you know, work with other artists are coming in and so worried about like how are we going to put this out and where are we going to plug it and all that kind of stuff and these guys weren't even thinking about that you know they just make the music and it was like I think the Shambles first record was just they recorded it didn't even mix it not even mastered <laughs> they didn't even know what that was just put it on Spotify yeah and like crazy successful and and looking back on it you know and, and what it did um, and it's so interesting that people get the whole and I think, I mean, that's a whole other issue of just like, you know, the way, the way, you know, the way we interact with the world and social media and things, but it makes you worry about the, the backwards end of things first. And it's, you know, I'm sitting in the studio with people and I'm like, just worry, worry about like writing the song, make, make the song make good. Make the song good. Make the song good first. And then it doesn't matter if you've got long hair or short hair or it's blonde or white and, you know, whatever. It's like, if the song's good, someone's going to pick it up. Someone's going to like it. Someone's going to enjoy it. Then you worry about the rest. Like you're thinking about, which playlist you're going to get on with what tone of guitar we're going to use. <laughs> like, don't think about that. Just make the song. Shortcuts. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> we want the shortcuts. Yeah. Um, what, working in the studio, mm. what, what is a, who is like an artist that you've worked with that you were like, oh, this person is good at being in the studio and like produce, like is, has that thing about producing recorded music that just you were like, wow, this is really great. And like what what were those things that those skills that they brought to it? There's quite there's, yeah, it's hard. There's quite a few. Um I mean I've had the privilege of working with Neil quite a lot. Right. And his his attention to detail and and also like it's not inattention to detail as well, but like knowing the things to be attentive on and how to do it and just knowing so well how, I don't know, his musical ability or his his skills and how to achieve the thing he's trying to in his mind is really cool. And I feel like the that's that's the greatest artists that are like that, that just know what they're trying to achieve. And I feel like that's, it's almost that almost anyone who comes into the studio is good if they know what they're, if, the, if they have a clear idea of what they're doing. It's like more often the people that are finding the work harder is they don't actually know what they're trying to do. But there is like, there's some, there's some high and clear people that I've worked with that are amazing, you know, like Teeks, amazing singer, just like, just, you know, 
whatever he's trying to do, it's just incredible. I worked with Louis Baker the other week and that was, I you know, had listened to Louis' music a bit and had met him a few times and then the situation came up where he needed uh, some recording done and it was amazing. And it was just like so fast, so just like knowing exactly what he needed to do, how to do it, listen back, not the right thing, go again, doing the right thing, being like, yeah, this is great. And I don't know, some of those, some of those people are maybe long time experience and that's just because they've spent so much time in the studio. But then I think like the Marlins record, Quotidian, we recorded in three days and it was like three takes per song on a tape machine. And that was just amazing because they knew what they wanted and it was like first take was like, okay, kind of got it. Second take was like adjust the tones and, you know, try use a different guitar sound or like move a mic around or something. And then third take was the one. And we just did that for 13 songs. And I think it was just that pure, this is what we're going for, this is what we're trying to do and having such a such a, I know, a clear idea in your mind. Yeah, so it's the common thread kind of like a, a decisiveness. Yeah, I think so. I think so and not, not second guessing themselves as well. I think just being like, this is it, this is what I do, this is how I do it. And if there's a lot of people who get focused on like, I know I can do this better. And those people probably, I know I could do it better as well, but they're just like, this is what I do. And nine times out of 10, it's going to be this. The 10th time, it might be slightly different and might, you know, bring something interesting to the table. But, yeah. you know, um, yeah, it's, it, I mean, classical musicians are kind of the, the crazy ones when you're just like, I was thinking about like crazy people that are good at what they do. Those those are the most insane people. And just like yeah, like Claire Cowan and the Black Quartet. Like that, that's insane. Like they just come <laughs> in. It's like we've been slaving away making this like music for the past seven days or whatever, and they come in on the last day and lay down all the string parts over top with like one look at the paper. They're like, oh yeah, okay, cool. So oh yeah, so uh, oh. boom, done. Like two takes per song. You're just like, who are these people? <laughs> like perfectly in tune, perfectly in time, and you're just like, wow. Professional musicians. Yeah, that's insane. But yeah, I've had the privilege of working with some some really amazing people over the time. I um, got to do a really cool session a couple of years ago with uh, a woman who sung Rhythm of the Night and they were doing a re-release for a Dance Dance, you know, it's like Steppy Dance games and getting around the kind of master copyright thing Um and she lives here in Auckland and they got in touch and they're like, oh, we want to do this thing with uh, this this woman who sung on this track. And I was like, no way. <laughs> and she came in and she was like, oh, I recorded this when I was 19. My friend produced the song and just asked me to record it. I was not a professional singer, didn't want to be famous. So she paid someone to be the face of it and go and do all the lip syncing on live shows and television and things like that. And she just remained anonymous and took all the royalties or whatever and then moved to New Zealand when she was mid-30s and became a teacher and now she teaches at a school. Um, but she came in and I had the backing track and I had like the acapella vocal that I was trying to like match it to and she started singing and I was just like, this is the greatest session of all time. <laughs> like the rhythm of the night. Holy shit. Yeah, it was epic. And then she came in, she's like, I, this is the first, she's like, I sung it that one time on the original recording. This is the second time I've ever sung it. <laughs> it was so messed up and it sounded identical. Man. You know, except she's what, 25 years older. Yeah. That's, that's the true. way to do it, I reckon. Yeah. They're like, 
you don't why would you want to have people recognizing you yeah exactly but yeah make a hit and become anonymous boom yeah but uh, yeah is there a do you have is there a list of your artists you really would like to work with or you think you could bring you're like i really like this person sound i think i could bring something to it do you do you are you that kind of person who thinks about that kind of stuff mm, yeah yes and no maybe no not really i don't think so i feel like i just i work with whatever's meant to come my way there's more like maybe like producers and things i learned a lot in my time working with people i almost feel like I get more out of working with people myself. Does that make sense? Like I get a lot out of working with people as much as like I feel like I'm giving to them. So I feel like when I'm looking at who I want to work with and stuff, it's like, what can, you know, I'm going to get like as much out of this as, 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 as they're getting out of me. I don't know how much I have to give to most of these things. But <laughs> that's saying I went through this period of working with, I think I worked with like five or six Grammy produce, winning producers within a year and just sitting in and being on those sessions and being like kind of their sidekick was really amazing. So I really hope like I'd like I'd, in producer sense like people like Brian Eno would just be, you know, dream come true. Blake Mills, you know, would be pretty amazing. But like I yeah had the privilege of working with like Sylvia Massey and David Wrench and Andrew Sheps and Mike Elizondo and yeah, Forrester Saville, heaps of crazy people just like Chad Blake, just just real crazy stuff so I, I don't I, I really don't know if I like picture myself looking like artists I'd be like oh that'd be cool but do you picture yourself being a producer like those kinds of producers though in the future yeah I think so I always I, I had a funny one actually where I remember where, when I was at Mainz and they were like go around the class and like stand up and say who you are and where you're from what you want to do and I was like, I'm Patrick Hill, I'm from Timaru, and I want to be the greatest producer in the world. And everyone was like, all right, mate, sit down. <laughs> <laughs> sit down. And um, I was like, oh, man. But, yeah, I don't know if that 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 dream is still relevant, but I, I definitely want to be uh, – I feel like I would like to have an effect on kind of the musical landscape. And I really was inspired by that uh, Defiant Ones, Jimmy Iovine, Dr. Dre documentary, where how their paths were kind of – you know, and diff, very different, but led to this place where they have this ability to be able to, yeah, like help change the shape of music for for better or hopefully not for worse, but, you know, be able to be that kind of thing. And so I don't know if I always see my life as being a producer forever. I feel like this is, at the moment, I really love doing it and it's a, it's a means to an end at the moment and, and that's really cool. Um, but I can definitely see qualities that I have and skills that I have transferring into other areas of music and possibly the world. Are you going to make music again? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. sick. All it's right, the cool. funniest thing. It's like I keep people, people, yeah, I keep telling people, I'm like, I was like, yeah, this year will be the year, this year yeah. will be the year. And then I get bogged down with like four or five projects and I'm like. <sighs> but like how, you know, you're, how can anyone do anything other than eat and sleep with the amount of hours you're working sometimes as well. Yeah. You yeah. have the space for it. I do have like a phone just full of like crappy ideas and things and I've got like a Rhodes piano and a compute rhythm at home and you know, just you, like you only, yeah. diddle around and make make things. And 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 so many friends now of all these projects I've worked on, they're like, oh, when you make your record, just so you know, hit me up and I'll yeah. do these things for you. And it's like sick. Both you and Theo are kind of like dark horse musical mm. like – 
people in my mind where I'm just like, I, I've always been like, there's gonna be something that's like a unique vision from each of these people that's mm. gonna come out at some point. And I know that for a certainty, but I have no idea when that's gonna happen. <laughs> Theo's got some great stuff. I've heard a few things he's been doing and it's really cool. It's really great. I'm excited to see what that comes. I do not have anything as quite formed as that. Yeah, There's right. still me just being like, mm, that's good. That's good. Yeah, that's nice. Um, do you, so we should say like, you know, I was in Timaru, mm-hmm. you were, you're Timaru, mm. Theo's Timaru. Mm. We've got Stephen Ma who mm-hmm. also works around here, Timaru yep. from Dopra and yep. from a whole bunch of things. Yeah. Um, and there's like a few others as well and like Oscar Keys obviously downstairs. Like, Yeah, Henry, yeah. Henry, like what? what's going on? Like there is something in the water down there. A three-year period almost, mm. like three to five-year period of a real so much musical – stuff coming out of it I, it's so weird to me yeah it's really I, strange I, the only thing i can put it down to is and I, I i i i don't love i don't love slagging people off and this is probably not even slagging someone off but well you're gonna talk about mrs taylor yeah no. <laughs> yeah she's still alive but i don't think she's gonna listen to my podcast but like i feel like i owe there's nothing that motivates me more than someone saying you can't do this or there's nothing that makes me do something more than someone saying you can't. What did she say you couldn't do? She was just, she fully just tried to, her hardest to stop my musical career. Like the whole time <laughs> I was at school, it was insane. It was just nuts. Um, the One of the most significant times was I put on a, I actually showed you the poster for it before Die, mm. Die, Die came and played at school and we supported them. Um Shout out, die, die, die. You guys are great. Um, they came as like a Rock Quest funded kind of thing and we put on the gig and and I said, oh, th- they've given us this thing where I want to, you know, advertise for it and stuff. She said, I don't care for what you're doing. I don't want – you just do what you need to do to organize it and, and you know, I don't want to hear any problems about it. And I was like, sick. Designed a poster, A0, printed on the music account, spent like $300 on printing. She went off her rocker. Um, pretty much refused to help organize anything else and I was like sweet whatever and then it got to playing and she was emceeing or whatever because she's the head of music and she comes out and goes this next band uh, can't remember this but it says, don't support this next band at Rock Quest this year they, they are insufferable like you should not support them you should be supporting the other bands that are in there give them a fighting chance and then we walked on the stage and Henry and I were like <laughs> What is going on? Like we're looking at each other like, is, did that just happen? And then kind of, you know, like being like 16, 17 and being like, okay, now we're going to play to this like audience of like 45 people in the Timaru Boys High school hall. There might've been like three girls from Girls High that showed enough interest to come down, you know? So it was already like an, a, a, a marginally supported endeavor doing music at a boys school that focused on cricket and rugby, but then for the mu- head of music and pretty much only music teacher to just be like don't show any support for these guys was just like wow and yeah then that was that was a and amongst a long string of kind of interactions we had while you know making music and things trying to like fail me at my performance things in NCA for various wild reasons and stuff like that it was good I had a, I had a pretty uh, fierce mother so she was yeah. quite good at coming in and, and telling her where the where the line was and, and what was going to happen if 
if if you know she didn't sort of shit out. That's crazy. Yeah, and then it was great. It was really great to go back a couple of years ago and see my my younger brother's performance at school and go. And she was going, oh, how how are you doing now? What are you doing? I said, oh, I work up at um Roundhead Studios. I run a, a studio in Auckland. She goes, what what is that? And I was, I was owned by Neil Finn, you know, of like Split Ends and Crowded House. It's his his studio up there. And her face just was like on the floor. It was, and I just got to turn away and just be like, great, this is my job done, <laughs> Miss Taylor. Yeah. So it's like a, a, it was a motivating. Uh, yeah, it was a force in, in, in a in a certain way. I don't know if it was a what your relationship was. With she blackmailed me into I, I. She made it seem like I couldn't do rock quest unless I did barbershop. That's right. I remember you being in barbershop. Yeah, there was a huge focus on those things. I remember it was like it was all on brass band, barbershop, whatever the other one was, the classical chamber music or whatever. Yeah, I had the relationship with she, I, like. Did like, you have the banter relationship? You had a. Yeah, she would just take, she would, like you said, like force you to do what she wanted to do, but then mm. take credit for the things that you did that she didn't want to do that worked mm. out. Mm. Mm. You know, yeah. like. No we, risk or reward. When we got, when we got, uh, when we were in year 12 and we, we got the word that we were like into the national final, mm. I was like, that's fucking awesome. And then Mr. was like, yeah, we did it. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> Like what? The fuck? <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, it was crazy. Who is we? Man. You're like I did this. Yeah, like I've said this before. Like, you know, talking with people. Yeah, I had Greg Haver on the couch, mm. and um, he he raised a really good point about education and music mm-hmm. education and New Zealand and how we don't necessarily. You could probably say that we maybe could give kids and, and young adults in New Zealand a better interaction or mm. more interaction with art and stuff in their in their formative years mm. and that might help the other end. Yeah. Um and like that that is completely true for me and probably completely true for you is like how what's our music curriculum and our music teachers that people like you and I who are, you know, pretty fairly obsessed with music mm. were like, fuck this. I dropped mm. out and like, I didn't do year 11 music. I was like, nah, mm. I can't do it. Like that is crazy. Yeah. And, and then like, see, then working with RockQuest and getting to see the, but basically the power that the individuals had at each school, to, like mm. it, it was like a crapshoot. Like yeah. t- kids at Western Springs have this huge leg up because they've got teachers who are usually even like industry people who are now like Dan from racing teaches mm. at Western Springs. And so mm. their rock quest bands have all the support they need. Like it's prioritized and like that's great for them. Like that, but that's how it should be everywhere. Yeah. But then you go to fucking places like Timaru and like it's, maybe you might relate to this, but that's, I find it, that's why I find it really hard mm. to sit when I had Jeff here from New Zealand on air and just really push the idea that like our New Zealand music system in all its facets is not built for a kid from Timaru. Mm. Totally. It's just not. Yeah. Like and like he had to be like, Yeah, it's not like you should you mm. need to move to Wellington or Auckland. And yeah. I'm I'm just like, that's it's true. I understand that is how it works, but it's really sad. Yeah, and it's that whole thing where I was saying that I just didn't see any clear avenues. It's not even it wasn't even a thing that's like a poster on the wall in the class. It's like, Oh, do you really like music? Which <laughs> part of music do you like? Do you like making it? Here's some things you could do if you like making music. Here's the places you could go. And it's like it's just simple stuff like that. Maybe they have that now, but there was nothing of the sorts then. It was just like 
make a hit with some record producer in LA or work at the port. <laughs> and I took that second option for a few what years. What did you do at the port? I, w- I went um, to the port for a did bit. Did you? Polar cold? Yeah, like, like uh, with the fish, sorting the fish. Sorting the fish, dog. I did that <laughs> six months. So bad. <laughs> Bro. It was so bad. You smelled like fish all the time and you couldn't get it off. Cold water was the trick. Apparently, if you washed your hands with hot water, it made them smell worse. Oh, my God. But it was like middle of winter. And so I was going through like, you know, you had like gloves on. But I was going through like three sets of gloves a day. Right. And, you know, like you're, you're, you, you actually seem like you could – you're like quite well built for a musician. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you like you got some actual like natural strength to you. Mm. Mm. You know, me that is not one of my mm. that is not one of my strengths. Like and some of those boxes like 23 kgs, 25 yeah. kgs and like me and the like South Canterbury Rugby Union like they were like a bunch of Fijian boys and mm. a bunch of them they were just like tossing these yeah. these boxes so easily and I was like oh my god bro just trying to carry one. You need to work smarter not harder. <laughs> I got my forklift license and just drove the forklift so I just park up psh, put oh, the little bro. thing there and then I just drive away and pick up the next rack and over. Yeah. This is why you're in charge of the studio and not just going in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. To be honest, I think I got that forklift license so I could pass NCA level three. I was like scraping by in that last year. So it was like that and like food handling certificate or something like that, you know, yeah. food safety. But yeah, I, I, I feel like it's the, the pla- regional places like that is it's so much more brutal for somebody who does have a supreme passion for music or something like that we were really fortunate my well I wasn't really fortunate my brother passed away a couple of years ago but in turn in turn from that we decided as a family to donate an arts scholarship to um, a boy from boys high every year and at the arts assembly which was really cool and so the first year got to I give like a bit of a speech and got to give this kid who was really into tap dancing a scholarship to be able to go and compete at this thing in Australia and it's just like it's so amazing for them to be able to like get this trophy and be like sick. I can use some, you know, this like motivation and support to be able to do something. And then I saw saw him. It was a couple of years ago now, but then he was up here doing something in Auckland. I was like, good for you, man. You got out. You got out. You're doing your thing. I'm hope you're still tap dancing. You like, got you know. out. Yeah, I didn't actually talk to him, but <laughs> he was like, you know, working in a shop and across the way. But yeah, it was like it was really cool. And I think, yeah, and maybe, maybe that's a great. Initiative. I know that Music Commission do do a lot of the mentoring things and sending people around the country, and it's quite, it's almost quite a full time job for a lot of people. Is like going around these schools and places. Um, someone, I was talking to someone, and they did say they had been to Timaru, but they couldn't. I think they went to like Mountain View, maybe, and not Timaru Boys. But maybe it's an initiative we form on our own, and we just get a bunch of peeps that are all doing it, and get back together, and just run a workshop over a weekend in a hall down there. Mm. Could be cool. Yeah, I've, I've I've always had off and on discussions about doing what is it the like music week they have there. Mm, Go mm-hmm. back down and doing that. It's just never really panned out. I did I did do a I did do a talk and a kind of like like a real vague kind of thing. They didn't really have the stuff that I needed to do thing, but I did a talk and it was quite it was interesting. You know, there were some kids there that were really into it, and some kids that were there just because they knew they could skip English or whatever. Yeah, right. It. And I was just like, well, I'm not your teacher. I don't really care if you're listening or not, but I'm going to tell you some things. And like, it was tough. It was tough, but then also like I think about the things that definitely I have. It might have been just before your time that they don't even have now, which is like the schools tour thing mm. that Rock Quest bands would be at. Like yeah. they would then tour like um, whatever pop punk band through, yep. and they'd do like a hundred yeah, shows. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw a Goodnight Nurse at the at the school hall. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure I saw someone else. Um, Streetwise Scarlet. 
Oh, yo. <laughs> yeah. Cause 40, we, 48 yeah. May, I'm pretty sure, even might have even come. That's how I got to know, like, Matt Eland and all the Rock Quest guys, because we would, you know, Gibby was always, like, super into mm. putting the gigs on. We, and, you know, Timmer, you have no idea. He always, Matt Eland would always laugh because he'd be like, you guys always go so, and, like, you always do it so professionally and so intense. Mm. And I was like, it's because we, well, we don't know what you're supposed to do because we, mm. there's no one around us to look. Mm. People in Auckland are just doing, like, whatever. And we're just like, oh, we've put on this whole show because, like, this must be what shows are. We've only seen them on TV. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was, like, full lighting rig, like, yeah. spotlights. But, like, how great would it, like, how many bands could benefit from... We always talk about there's like a, a lack of like lanes for developing audiences when you're in that middle section. We were talking mm. about that kind of ceiling idea before mm. Mm. where there's like a band of quality, maybe they're, they're not making the exact type of music where they're getting the mainstream commercial radio bump. They're, they are playing festivals, and but, you know, that's just not really – there's no apparatus there for those. Like mm. things like the schools tour is like built for those kinds yeah, of bands. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you know, like get your music exposed in different places, like around the, and, and it's amazing because it's like these these bands that we know that are like we feel like are popping off in Auckland and Wellington and and whatever, and then in the smaller centres you're talking to someone about you're like oh this band they're like who yeah never heard of this yeah never heard of them before it's just so ex- it is really expensive to do and like I get that mm. but it it's that kind of thing that makes me think like well we do have a complete choice over where every single dollar we spend on anything musical goes mm. there isn't actually like you know there's no reason you couldn't completely reinvent the entire philosophy of any governmental program really mm. we just don't no one really discusses it that way because it's it's hard to have like vision when you're in the system for so long but it's like yeah. like you said like the music industry is making an incredible amount of money it's like growing mm. right and there's so there's like incredible economic incentives for a certain segment of the industry. Yeah. And it just seems to me like those already exist. Why not leave that alone? Mm. Because the incentives are already there. And if people want to go for that lane, then you opt into the super competitive system. Why do we need to put even a single dollar towards something that already has the perfect economic incentive system mm. to, uh, to attract that kind of talent? Is there other ways we could be spending that dollar that might help? You know, it's meant to be like New Zealand on air. It's meant to be the New Zealand Music Commission. But mm-hmm. there's, there's kids in Geraldine and Omaru and all these places who, who have never seen mm. a live band before. Yeah. You know, like yeah. that's not cool. <laughs> yeah. There's no gigs going on for those kids. I think like the first gig I actually, I feel like the first gig I went to was Guns N' Roses at like, fucking Westpac Arena or something. Yeah, right. you know, when I was like 14, like that is... I only remember three Timaru gigs and it was Zed at the um, Sound Shell. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember When that. they yep. were cranking. Yeah. I remember Deja Voodoo came came through and played at the Town Hall. Mm-hmm. Not the Town Hall, sorry, the, the Caroline Bay Hall. Yeah. And then so did the Electric Confectioners. Wow. With like the Dukes or something who wow. were like Dave Dobbin's backing band. Yeah. And those were the three gigs I got to see. <laughs> they used to they used to have a great I remember because my like dad used to go to heaps of gigs. There used to be a place called Loaded Hog and he saw like Betcha Duper and Tadpole oh, and wow. um Stereogram and She Had and all these things. And they would play in these little centers. I don't know what like maybe the they need a venue, maybe I don't know, but like it's 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 so interesting because there must have been a 
crowd that went there. I mean, I'd have to, I know some of those people in those bands now. I'd have to ask them like yeah. what the turnout was like, you know, maybe it just wasn't viable and that's why they didn't do it. But yeah. Yeah, it's nuts, man. Like uh, I talking to, again, Dan from Racing and he, he kind of says like people, this probably isn't as applicable to bands like She Had and all that who are like established now. Mm. But he, he has this whole thing where he just, bands just don't like touring anymore. Mm. Because again, there's that pull where all the money is in, we, we are like doubly incentivizing things that touring doesn't help with at all. Touring does not help you get on playlists. Yeah. Touring does not help you get onto like in, into sessions, doesn't help you get funded. But it does, but like it is actually ta- like the real thing that helps you connect with audiences and actually build audiences. Like it's that whole thing. It just takes time, but people don't like it. And it's hella expensive as well. Yeah. It's like, it's expensive. It's, an it's expensive, and you, yeah, it's an investment, and you're most of the time in like a little high ace, like all jammed in with all your gear, jigsawed in, <laughs> oh, and it's like wet, and you're hungover. And I'm whatever, thinking about you know? getting back into it at the moment, and, and it's a few memories like that. Where I'm like, is this really what I want to do again? Yeah, I'm kind of lucky, but it didn't it didn't really hit that hit that you know part of part of music. So I didn't have to do like the Auckland to Wellington overnight drive or anything like just that. fly i know willie donna stop driving mm. guys just stop driving just fly it's yeah. okay i'm yeah going <laughs> actually going down to um golden bay to work on a record with the ot's or something with the ot's oh. in, a, in, a few, in a few weeks so that will be interesting but that will be the first drive i do down that's the first time i've done it auckland to wellington with a Van load of shit. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it be fun. Oh, that's very exciting. Yeah, can't tell you anymore. It's signed to an NDA. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I tell you, I thought that like NDAs were like an American um, movie thing. Mm. I just didn't actually actually know that they were real, but they're actually real, aren't they? Yeah, and yeah, I've definitely had to sign a, a, a couple of proper ones. There's a, there's a like an informal one, I guess, at the studio because you get so many uh, varied. People of of fame, or I guess, and also projects that may you know require some kind of I don't know, like quietness on because of whatever. Maybe it's a surprise thing for people or something, or it's you know just like they don't want people to know they're making music. Some people are just mysterious, you know. So that mm. definitely exists. A pretty yeah, we definitely definitely see a bit of that. We did have um. We had Ed Sheeran come to the studio and they um, we've got a service entrance and they drove the car in and shut the garage door behind it because they didn't want – and there were still people found out that he was there. Don't know how. was like standing at the – there was like a photographer standing outside the building trying to catch a photo of him. Whoa. Yeah, it's crazy. It was actually funny. That was a fun one where um, Ed Sheeran's manager had called up in the morning maybe like 10 or something and was like – we really need a studio to do this like vocal for the song that's like coming out. We just need to like run in a few like lines or a few verses or something like that. And we just need a studio for the thing. Is there any way we can get in, you know, from 12 to one today and so go down to this like band who's in the studio and be like, Hey, we've just had a phone call from Ed Sheeran. Would you mind like taking a lunch break and letting him go in the studio? And they're like, yeah, that's <laughs> sick. Like, can we hang? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hang around. So they're just having lunch while each year and it's like recording vocals in the in the booth, which was pretty funny. Fuck. Supremely nice guy. Yeah. Did I see today a repost about the guitar? Mm. Was that on the Lord track? Yeah, it's on. It's on a good chunk of that record. They they 
they did a, a bit of time here. Uh, yeah, it would have been maybe 18 months, two years ago. There was a there was a span of time where they were doing that, but that was a, a hot favourite. I actually had um, Jack Antonoff get in touch and be like, how much for that guitar? Oh. <laughs> and just, just I felt like it was, you know, the better story to say. It's not for sale. It's not for sale. Sorry. Yeah. But gave him a pair. I I told him you know the model and the serial and stuff, and apparently he found one that was quite similar. That guitar is actually meant to be blue, which is amazing. It's 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 um like placid blue, but the the sun and the wear on it, it's turned green. So it's really cool. Wow. Yeah. It's it's trippy when you look at the because I was trying to find the color of it when I was I posted about it a while ago. And I was like, there's no color. There's no color that's this color in the world. And then talked to Neil's old guitar tech. He's like, oh, yeah, it's originally blue. It's just like 50 years of fading. <laughs> it's amazing. But, yeah, all over that record, I was, I, was, I was talking to them about it. And, yeah, they used it everywhere. Just the hot the That's hot awesome. It's a great sounding guitar. It's yeah. a great sounding guitar. Uh, you Just off the top of your head, mm-hmm. what are your favorite bits of gear lying around the studio? You may, 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 mm. Not yeah. in a practical sense, but just in a in a in a narrative emotional sense. Uh, noise making devices, um, the Hammond organ. I reckon that's like the most ridiculous instrument. Like everyone knows, like what, I, I guess what an organ looks like and probably the sound it makes. But it, I might be wrong, and someone can comment or whatever you do here. But it's like <laughs> it's like a it's called a tone wheel organ. So it's like a spinning tube, and air blows over it, and it's like when you blow on like the top of a beer bottle, and that's how it makes a sound ridiculous and then it spins through this leslie cabinet which is these two like horn like speakers that are attached together and spin in a circle so it throws the sound all around and it sounds like it's just you know you're thinking like pink floyd and all that kind of like all those real like classic like southern american records like it's it's so ridiculous so that's like a 1950s it's an a100 and a b3 body i believe Mm. that's sick uh fender strat 1962 l series that thing is and in, in, in almost everybody that like picks it up is like, I don't really usually like Stratocasters, but this <laughs> this is amazing. And yeah, that's such a that's such a vibe. I think I believe Liam's actually using that a fair bit at the moment. He's got a, a show coming up. Um Love Omnicord. I feel like that's such a that's such a beautiful, amazing, fun instrument that is just I don't know, it's so cheesy, but somehow just so right. And almost all the times I try to use it, like every time I think Omnicord, it's like, great, this sounds so good. <laughs> um, there's, we also recently got a Profit synthesizer, which is real hot. And I've been trying to like dive deep into that. So that's been pretty amazing. Profit 10 as well. So it's just like 10 voices of, oh, it's good. Oh. It's real good. It's a lot of fun. Have you have you guys thought about having a a, a a TikTok account for Roundhead where it's literally what you it's like what you do on BFM, which I love by the way. Mm. They're like mm. just bringing up a piece of gear and talking about it because mm. that shit would pop off. Because you like you've got oh, like well, what ridiculous guitar should we show off today? Like oh, we've got all the Earthquaker pedals. Mm. Like do you want to know what a data corruptor does on a B Hammond or whatever? I'm still yeah. I mean I, f- I I must sound old, but I'm like so you don't have to dance when you're on TikTok. You can just do anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> you can. I did, I did think about that, yeah. I mean, I've, I've enlisted Alexa actually is to do the social medias and so she might, she might That's find, a good call. She might find a way to get into it. I thought it would be Well, I'll hit her up then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it, I mean, there's just, it's just unlimited. In terms of technical machines that I love, there's a RCA portable tube amplifier and it's just got one big knob on it and a VU meter and it's just, 
it's weighty and it was made to go out in the field like in the 50s when they're like recording like the races or something. I don't know what you record back in the 50s out in the field, whatever they did. You know, but it's this huge tube amplifier with just one giant knob that just goes zero to 10 and it just sounds amazing. So you need- and it's real great. We, I was doing the mild orange stuff and a lot of it, we did guitars DI'd and I would just use that as the distortion. Oh, wow. So just like pull that knob and just find the fine point where it would like crunch up like a like an amplifier. Oh, that's dope. And, but it has like no cab noise. I actually saw Healy Paquin um, mm-hmm. using the Electron uh, mm-hmm. drive. analog, yeah. analog drive in yeah. that same way. Yeah. He's, hot. He's in the studio at the moment. He's oh, making a record. What? Paquin? No. Oh. Marlon. Oh. Yeah. Okay, yeah. fair. He's got a he's got a whole record sitting there of his of his own. Well, fucking put it out. I was no, it's not a pack on one. Sorry, oh, it's a, God. He's but got like a, he's got another. He probably does have a pack on one. He showed Pac-Man me some other stuff. Is like the best one of my favorite bands that just cease to exist for no reason. I saw them on my the first time I ever saw them, and it was the first time I'd ever experienced Tom Healy. I didn't actually even know him at that point. It was on my stag do. And <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, Henry took me to a pack on gig in Dunedin. Oh, it was so the, it such was an incredible so good. band. Then we listened to Pink Floyd, Dark Side <laughs> of the Moon. <laughs> what a what a night! What a night! Yeah, it was great. Yeah, I mean, it's is is limit limitless kind of things. The Studio tape machine, the, all the tape machines, or anything to do with moving parts. I love. I reckon that's cool. That's like the most fun music stuff is things that are alive, that have imperfections. Yeah, like, and just like just like they're almost and almost almost talk about the the Neve disc, which is the big 40 channel 1970s neve that we have in the studio but it's like a living breathing thing like it's it's interactive and it and and some days it does things and other days it doesn't and like you know it's just like it's not unpredictable but it it just feels like it's an organism and 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 there's a lot of people that have worked on them over the years will like describe them as such you know and they're mm. just such living breathing things and you you play them like an instrument in a sense. It's not like a focus right interface where it's like, you know, up or down kind of thing. It's like there's so many aspects to this thing that move and breathe and make it I don't know, I guess that adds to the dimensionality of the, the magic. Record. Yeah, it's the magic. It's it's wacky. It's un, it's undescribable. It smells as well. Like it has a smell <laughs> to it. I know the smell of the neve. It's so weird. And I yeah have been walked in on just like you know nose over the desk <laughs> just like especially if I've been away for a couple of weeks I'll be like oh, yeah. yeah it's like that old that old it's like Newcastle smell but it's just like old Neve smell that's beautiful hot Transformers or something I don't know <laughs> yeah um, weird question but do you have any plugs any plugs yeah. like what like people to well listen usually we to? have like sometimes we have you know a lot of the time we have artists on who've got music and stuff coming out but. Do you have any plugs? Book Roundhead? Uh, I mean, I've got in terms of stuff coming out. There's a I just uh, got told that one of the the next Mild Orange single is going to come out uh, August, and there's a video with that. And Josh showed me the video today. It's super sick, it's an animated thing. Dope. Um, and that's a, that's quite like the the record that we've been working on is quite interesting. Um, those guys, for a bit of background, have Josh's written, recorded, produced, mixed everything for the last like three or four albums and then this album they were kind of reaching a point where their ideas and things they weren't able to actualize them with the kind of his skills and the combination of skills and gear and so I've helped them out 
in a few aspects and it's been a really cool collaborative thing where we've kind of like co-produced co-engineered and co-mixed and that's kind of been the way I've I wanted to go into it because I know he's so meticulous with every decision he makes so it's been it's been cool and just to but just to be able to help lift that all up um this song's quite cool in terms of it's like no it's not it's not really like strokesy or anything like that but there's like it's it's quite like dry and crunchy and stuff and and I th I think maybe people if they know their music would imagine they're a bit more floaty and a bit more dreamy in some of their stuff it's it's quite um yeah quite different which is cool it's cool. exciting and that's probably one of the ones I had the most involvement on in terms of they just had, we'd had a standstill and then it was like well I'll take it away and do some stuff to it and you tell me what you think if you like this direction and we went in that direction it was great that's cool. Um, other plugs coming out. Wow. I mean, you've seen the Lord stuff that's been coming out. That's been pretty cool. Um, yeah. The Soak these stuff. I don't think they'll be out for a while. That's got to be mixed and that's got to be coming. Um, yeah. Whoever I've been listening to that, I've been loving. been smashing a bunch of glass vaults at the moment. Love those guys. That's cool. Some really great Listeners stuff. of the podcast, glass vaults. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. it's been great. I'm, I'm, I'm a little late to the party, unfortunately, but um, yeah, I've been smashing that that um, that last record out quite a lot. It's, it's really cool. Um, I, for some reason, didn't think they were a New Zealand band, so I was quite, I was quite happily surprised. I was like, mm. oh, this is nice. <laughs> um, yeah, Worry Donna, you mentioned them. Cool, very cool. Um, Jack Berry, been smashing some of his stuff. In terms of things outside of New Zealand that I've been listening to, I've listened to a bit of Battles. Always smashing Brian Eno, music for airports, one, one, just like, it's, honestly, I think it's one of the greatest albums of all time. Um, if anyone's looking for a really amazing album to go and listen to and blow your engineering producing socks off, songwriting socks off, Millennium Begin, 1967, I think it is. At the time, it was like a genre called sunshine pop and it was like Beach Boys and all that kind of stuff. And and Beach Boys were like the pinnacle of like that genre, but these there was all these bands like The Ballroom, The Millennium, Sagittarius and stuff that were never made it to that level. These guys made only one record. Kurt Boacher was the guy who produced it and he never managed to make a living off music. He'd produced all these bands and done a bits of songwriting with people in and around Beach Boys. And I think he was, I, I could be wrong, but I think he was a closet homosexual and kind of s suffered quite badly from that and then just ended up never making any money out of music and dying kind of with no recognition. And then this is like one of these records that someone's rediscovered or reissued, you know, 30 years later and it's been like, wow. But anyway, it's an amazing record. At the time they made it, I think it was, might have been Capital Records that they were on. It was the most expensive album ever made. It took took two years. It was it cost over a hundred thousand dollars US in 1967. So that's like, I think like the equivalent of like six seven hundred thousand um, dollars. And it's one of those single pieces of music where it's start to finish, and it's just it's amazing. It's I think it's possibly my favorite album of all time. It's wow. I ne I never listen to it. There's not a bad there's not a single bad moment in the record. And tell everyone what the record is again. Uh Millennium Begin. It's quite hard to find on Spotify cuz as you can imagine there's a lot of like 
late 90s, early 2000s, turn of the millennium kind of bands called Millennium that it's like hard tech kind of things. So it might be a Google search and then from there? It's a Google search, yeah. You can you could probably find it by searching Kurt Boetcher as well, B-O-E-T-T-C-H-E-R. Um, and the other interesting thing about it was that they, as far as I could find when I read about, up about them, they were the first, he was the first producer to pull like two tape machines together and run them so he had two 16 track tape machines and run it as 32 tracks and there's moments on that record that you hear that sound like abbey road had like picked up some of the ideas off there's like one song that sounds so lenin-y it's like amazing and there's obviously like that a bit of probably a bit of back and forth there but i think that technique may have been you know some of the and the and the, i think the reason also that it was really expensive i was reading was that they like took like the the whole drums to like an apartment building next door took like two 16 track tape machines and recorded drums in like a in like a huge you know apartment staircase and it's real echoey the first track sounds like boom bap hip hop and it's like 1967 it's amazing wow yeah incredible incredible i've have i plugged that record enough probably not um it's great <laughs> you should go and listen to it um yeah and i don't know no other big plugs. I mean, we've got Going Global coming up at Roundhead in a few weeks. So if anyone's in the music biz and they want to, you know, broaden their horizons about music industry stuff, then that could be a great little thing for you to come along to. I believe you have to be a member of IMNZ. I may be wrong. Um, and there is some kind of t fee or ticket to get along to it but it's really great and they you know it's hugely educational there's lots of amazing panelists that talk about how to tour efficiently or how to you know these things we've been talking about of like i am mildly successful but how do i what avenues mm. do i do to you know sustain this into the next phase or whatever there's i mean it, before this it'll be interesting to see how it goes um because before this, there was, you know, people coming over from like South America and being like, here's what's happening in Colombia or, you know, here's what's happening in bloody Mexico with music or whatever. There's some people from all around the world. And there was, um, yeah, and then that coincides with Others Way, which is really cool. So that all, I think it like goes for the couple of days leading up to Others Way. So that'd be great. Yeah, I'm hoping to have Night Lunch on the podcast when they come up. Sick. Yeah, love Night Both Lunch. Both of them, the Liams. Big plug. Big, big plug for Night Big plug. Yeah, they did the record at the studio. Super sick. Super oh. sick. It's amazing seeing like the studio used for such like overkill scenarios. <laughs> like it's so good. But I mean that's – and I think that's been a really cool thing for the past little while and having Stephen there as well is, is – it's been an interesting thing. It's like making a real effort to, to I think maybe – I mean, Roundhead's been around for 15 years, so I've been trying to kind of make it a welcoming place. Someone actually, someone used an interesting term of like decolonizing the space as well, so making it more open to people from different ethnic backgrounds and ethnic musics as well. And it's not, so it's not just these, you know, trad white rock bands that are Western coming through. modalities. Yeah, exactly. And, and, um, yeah, trying to open it up to more interesting and exciting people, and and we try really be accommodative where we can to to people. I mean, there's always there's always like a, a 
minimum kind of bar to jump over to be able to get in there in terms of financial wise but we try to be really flexible for people and then you know charge corporate people the other side <laughs> the best way to do it yeah exactly yeah well uh that was awesome patty yeah it was great like it's i really i'm very grateful for you coming on because i think it's definitely true in my life but i'm sure in a lot of people's lives they're like the studio can be a very mysterious thing in the musical ecosystem for musicians so mm. it's mm. nice i'm sure a lot of people really are going to enjoy hearing a nice little taste like demystifying it a little bit yeah. you're a very good spokesperson oh. uh, in that sense thanks yeah it's like i always feel like i don't talk prolonged for often but i always get to the end and i'm like so did that make sense <laughs> at all well, Any- welcome to my life, Patty. Welcome yeah. to my life. Yeah, you're like, okay. This is me every week. Do you get back into the edit at the end and you're like, oh. well, we don't edit. Oh, is this just live? Straight unedited. Bruh, that's so good. This is like how I like to do my music. Just like, well, if you can't do it first time, man, come on. There's another podcast next week. There's another song tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. Just do it. Do that. Exactly. Uh, thank you so much for coming, Patty. Oh, thanks for having me. We've, we'll, we've, we'll have you back on. I think, we'll, you know, I, I want to. I was just going to say, we might. I think there might be like a B series where it's just like studio stories because I've got a. Well, I, I, didn't, I didn't crack out too many. Uh, Roundhead should have a podcast. You've got the microphones. I know. Would, sit, 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 sit down for 40 minutes. Well, I thought it'd be really. It, it has been an idea that's passed my mind. Sorry, we're just extending this even though we've almost said no, our goodbyes. Like but like of having one where. Yeah, someone does a record and they just come sit on the couch for 10, 15 minutes and just go, what's going on? It's so easy. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a, like, it doesn't have to be a thing. Mm. But so many people, it brings enjoy, like, just keep the, like, effort and the logistics and the workflow to a minimum and people will really enjoy it. I don't think I need the microphones. I think I just get one of those little, like, cassette, like, mini cassette recorders. Like, if you used a bit of gear from around here to record it, even better. Yeah, exactly. Record on the tape echo. Well, start emailing Roundhead and asking for that content, everybody. Yeah, remind me. I've got <laughs> like, him. put it in my emails. It doesn't really exist in my life until it's in my email inbox. <laughs> how I kind of, it's just a never ending list of Classic things. Classic professional. Yeah, but I uh, love you all for listening. It's really <laughs> great. And um, yeah, thanks to everyone who got me here. Thanks to New <laughs> yeah, Zealand. Shout out, here. Miss Taylor. <laughs> yeah, Miss Taylor. Soaked Oats, <laughs> Max Gunn, my parents, Cara, one and only. Oh, yeah. beautiful. Peace. Peace and love. New episodes every Sunday. Yeah. Subscribe. <laughs> yeah. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe, bitches. Like and subscribe. Oh, nailed it, bro.